The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Today we are continuing our series, Begin Again. Throughout life, there are moments where where we think we, about the need to have a fresh start, an, an opportunity to wipe the slate clean, to, to start over, an opportunity to begin, to begin again. This, this might happen in, at, at times in, in our careers, in our relationships, in our education. And so all throughout this series, what we have been doing is helping us think about, in terms of our relationship with God, what if we, what if we began if you were beginning for the first time, what would that look like? What would it look like for us to begin again? What, if we were starting over, what are the starting points? The ideas, the, the truths that we want to believe, that we want to be reminded of. Because the reality is for many of us, at one point, we cared. Maybe at one point we were committed, at one point we believed, but something happened over time. And the place that we are today is not where we once were. That maybe we don't believe the same things, we don't, we don't have the same passion, the same desire. And so what if, as we drifted, what if we started over? What if we went back to the beginning? The starting points of who Jesus is and what he's done. A starting point of understanding the gifts that Jesus gives to us. In order to do that today, what I want to do is I want us to talk a little bit about debt. Debt will weigh you down. Now my guess is that as good Americans, most of us have some familiarity with debt. We understand the effects of debt. We understand that possibly, right, because we live in a country with an excessive amount of debt, or maybe personally you've experienced debt through credit cards or, or loans, or at minimum you know somebody who has had their lives impacted because of what debt does. And so when I say debt weighs you down, when I say that debt impacts you, my guess is that most of you don't find that to be an unusual idea, because we understand that debt has an impact. Now, interestingly enough, researchers have looked into debt and finances, not just in how it affects your, your way of living, but what researchers have found is there are strong connections between a person's mental health and their financial debt. Now, for those of you who, who have been in debt before, this might not be surprising to you, but, but what, what researchers have shown is that debt, foreclosure, and bankruptcy are strong predictors of things like depression, psychological distress, and anxiety. That those are closely related. Now, the reason that happens is because when we owe anyone something, it robs us of our freedom. When you owe somebody something, when you are in debt to somebody, it robs you of the freedom that you want to have. Right? Th think about it. Right? When you are in debt and you want to go somewhere but you have a bill that needs to be paid, it's robbing you from the freedom to go where you want to go. When, when, you have, when, when you are in debt to somebody, when you owe something, it robs you from the freedom to being able to buy the thing you want, to go the place you want to do, to have the date you want to have. Why? Because you owe somebody something, and that is standing between you and the freedom to do what you want to do. Or even worse, it will even rob you the freedom to sometimes even do the things that you need to do. Maybe because they have that debt that is haunting you 
that lender who is hunting you down. Debt stands against us and works against us doing the things that we want and the things that we need. If you could open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,833. Now, one of the interesting things about certain words that we use as Christians is some of them actually become so commonplace and familiar that they begin to lose their meaning and significance for us. There are are certain words within the Christian faith that become so second nature to us that we start to forget about, about what they actually mean and how weighty and loaded those words are. One of those words that I think this happens with is the word forgiveness. Because if we're talking about forgiveness, most people actually know the word forgiveness. Whether you're Christian or not, forgiveness is a word that people have heard. And so in the church, we, we speak it often, we talk about it often. And then even if you're not in the church, people know what, it's, what it means to ask for forgiveness, to expect forgiveness, to want forgiveness. It's a word that becomes so second nature to us that many of us forget how to define it. I, w- I would guess that many of you have, would struggle to define the word forgiveness apart from actually using the word forgive. Why does that happen? It happens because certain words do that. They become so familiar to us that we think we know what they mean and we don't ever think about what they actually mean. And so what I want us to do is I want us to use this text in Colossians because the Apostle Paul is going to write about forgiveness. And what I believe is that if we are to begin again, many of us need to start over to begin again when it comes to this word forgiveness. We need to go to the starting points of what did the apostles mean when they said forgiveness? What did Jesus mean? Why did they use that word? Why did they use that language? What was packed within it to help people understand their relationship with God? And so I'm going to read in Colossians beginning in verse 13. And we'll read just a couple of verses and then unpack those together. Paul writes in verse 13, When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code, some translations would say the legal indebtedness with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Forgiveness is a debt metaphor. The word forgiveness gets used in the scriptures, talking to people in order to help them understand their relationship with God by talking about debt, by talking about finances, by talking about who owes who what. Debt is the language. Forgiveness is the language of debt and payments and IOUs. It's the language of creditors and debtors and how all of those relate to us in our relationship with God. It's meant to paint a picture for us. Of where we stand. This is why Jesus himself, when he's teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer, he uses, he uses financial language. Now, now, it's not always the language we will use, but, but in many translations that, that give us the Lord's Prayer, they'll say, Jesus says, t- he teaches them to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. Jesus isn't talking about a finance, he's not talking about money, he's talking about sin. And he uses the language of debt to help the disciples understand their own sin. Sins are debts. 
We've overspent our accounts with every act of rebellion against God. And, and here's the thing that you know about sin. See, see, when you do wrong to somebody, and this is true whether you're Christian or not. So if you're here and you're a guest, and you're like, well, I don't know if this is going to apply to me. That whether you're Christian or not, when you do wrong to somebody, you owe them. This is, just, this is just a universal way, the way we understand relationships. When you do wrong to somebody, you are now in debt to them. That's what it means. You owe them. Now, it might be something small, right? You might have done something little, and so you, maybe you owe them an apology. But you still owe them. You owe them something. Or maybe it's a little bit bigger. Maybe you, like, you, you hurt their pride. Or you cut them down. You said something. That, that hurt their self-confidence. And so maybe what you owe them, you owe them the rebuilding of that confidence. Or maybe you owe them the time that they lost, and so you need to try to give them some time back. Maybe you said something or did something that actually, that actually maybe damaged some financial success. And so maybe you made a decision or said something that caused somebody to, to lose some money in the long run. So maybe what they feel like you owe them is, is some money. Maybe there are even bigger things, like maybe you did something or said something that hurt a relationship, and so you owe them the lost relationship. Or maybe some of you can, can point to situations and what, what, what you owe them or what somebody owes you is so big that you can't even, they couldn't even pay it back if they dreamed of. See, what happens when somebody wrongs somebody else, they owe them. That's debt. And that debt doesn't just hurt the person who was wronged, it hurts you too. Because debt robs us of our freedom. It stands between us and what God wants to give to us. And what we understand about wronging other people is that when we do wrong to them, when we are in debt to them, we're also in debt to God. Because any time we don't love God with our heart, soul, and mind, or any time we don't love our neighbor, any time we don't treat our neighbors the way that Christ would treat them, any time we don't do that to our families, right, when, we, when we fail to love others, we are sinning against God. And so we owe God. We're in debt to him. And that hurts us far more than it hurts God. And so Paul, writing about Jesus, says, says he forgave us all our sins. It's a financial word. It's a debt word, which is significant because if, you, if we're thinking about finances, if I were to say to you, your largest financial debt has been paid in full, most of you would laugh in my face. Why? Because that's that's too good to be true. That doesn't happen. Right? You've heard those schemes. You've heard the marketers that say they, got, they have this plan and, and your debt will be gone. Well, that, that, that's not how things work. But what, what Paul says about Jesus is that he forgave our debts. It's, and here's the thing. It's, it, doesn't it sound too good to be true? It, it couldn't be that good. But this is exactly what Paul says is happening when he writes having that, that Jesus, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Or Jesus cancels what we owe. And, and this is such a big deal. Because, I mean, think about it. Jesus isn't canceling fraudulent charges. It's not like somebody, it's not like somebody said, all right, I'm pretending to be you and I'm going to do things in your name. Or I'm going to start racking up and, and spending money on your account pretending to be you. No, these are things that you did. It's things that you said. It's relationships that you hurt. It's times that you rebelled against God, not somebody else. 
And he's canceling those charges. And it's not like it's like an accidental overdraft of your account either. It's not like you just, like, like here's a line and you just, just squeaked by it. No, it's a deliberate rebellion. Like we know the line and we, go, and we blow right past it, no question. Because sometimes we think that we know what's best even though God tells us what's best. And we decide to do it our own way. Those are the charges that he's talking about. Like if we, if we opened up our statement... Well, let's say like our sins were on a, on a credit card statement. And we unfolded that paper. I mean, imagine going line by line and saying, all right, we, did, we said that to her. We did that to our kids. All right, we said that to our coworker and that to our manager. And I was lazy here. And I, and I wasn't putting my family first here. And here's what I said um, when no one was paying attention. And then you go to the next page. Right, because those are the things that, that, those are the things like you could point to happening, but that's not even the page of the things that are inside your brain, right? And so then, there, so you then start going through the page that no one knows about but you, and you're like, oh shoot, this is on there? <laughs> and, th- and then you get to the bottom, right? And you know, you know what part's the, r- the scariest, right? You see that very bottom line, it says amount owed. And it's that line that Jesus in blood red stamps paid in full. See, that is the significance that many of us have trouble believing because it's just too good to be true. It can't be that easy. It can't be, uh, it costs us nothing. Like, is that really how the world works? The rest of the world doesn't work that way. In the financial world, there are four primary ways that we can talk about getting out of debt. And now there probably really are far more than this, but there are four primary categories um, that I could find that debt, getting out of debt seems to fit within. And so I want to talk about these for a minute because I believe that they can help us think about our own relationship with God. And so the first way that people try to get out of debt is by growth. See, this getting out of debt strategy, people rely on financial growth as the way to get rid of their debt. Now, in this strategy, the plan is not actually making payments to the debt. The plan is actually growing your wealth. And eventually, if you work hard enough, if you do enough, if you invest in the right things, your wealth will grow faster than your debt grows. And so eventually, if you, if you do it right, if you work hard enough and invest in the right things, then eventually you can pay off your debt because you, because you grew enough. Right, you make the right investments, you, you, you find the investments that are going to have a high rate of growth, in your, and so you hope that your debt doesn't grow at that same rate. Now, occasionally, it, it works. Right? In America, after World War II, the, the economy blew up in such a, such a way that, that, people's, that people's wealth grew, rapidly grew in a way that exceeded the growth of debt. And so, and so debt it could be minimized that way. But the problem is it's incredibly rare in the financial world. And in the spiritual world, it's impossible. Because the debt that we owe God, we can't outgrow it. But again, this attitude will creep in. Right? We'll see our debt. And what we want to do is we want to figure out a way to make it right. And so, we, and so we get determined, all right, if I can grow myself enough, I'll be able to pay God back. 
if I can invest my time and energy into God, and if I, if I can give generously, and if I can love, and if I, can, if I just do enough things, or if I go on the right mission trips, if, I, if, I, if I'm committed to the church, if, I, if I'm here at all the right times, like maybe I'll grow enough, and eventually my goodness will outweigh my badness. But when we try to do that, we buy into the lie that believes I can be good enough. And the moment that happens, We might think that we are on a plan to get out of debt, but really, we have bought a lie that will leave us trapped in our debt, not freed from it. Because we cannot grow enough to pay God back. We cannot do enough. And and here's the the challenging thing. Like like when when we see people who are, are, are committed to growth as a way to pay God back, they're usually doing really good things. Right, some of you might be doing those things. Right, right, you're reading your Bible, you're studying, you're praying. These, these are good things. But when they become the method to pay God back, they'll never set you free. Growth doesn't happen as we get ourselves out of spiritual debt, but when we find ourselves spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. Now the other way that people will try to get out of debt is by changing the terms. And so the idea with this method is that if we can change the terms of the original agreement, the debt becomes more manageable. And so, and so what we'll do is we'll, we'll go to the bank and we try to get our interest rate lowered. Because if we can lower the interest rate, we can pay off the debt quicker. If we can consolidate the debt, if we can get rid of the bad debt and, and take on only good debt, if we can refinance, if we do all these things, if we do the things the right way, the debt seems far less overwhelming. And so this strategy is not focusing necessarily on growing wealth, but it's focusing on making the debt manageable, making it payable. Again, we do the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. Right? We see the debt and then we go to God and say, all right, we need to change the terms here because this is just not working for us. Right, we say, here's what God expects, here's what God demands, here's what's right, here's what's good, here's what's holy and just. But God, I'm not measuring up, I'm not doing enough, so God, can we, can we negotiate here? Right, can we change the contract? Because, because you're saying I should do this. You're saying I should love this way. You're saying I should sacrifice this way. You're saying I should do these things. But I'm coming in way down here. So maybe we can lower the bar a little bit. Because like, when I look around, right, I'll compare myself. And I know I'm in debt, but I'm not as much in debt as that guy. Right? I mean, that, that, like that guy, he, he's really bad. I'm, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. And so we start to compare, and we do this all as part of our negotiation strategy. And so God, just lower the bar a little bit, not all the way to where I am, but low enough that I can get over it. And so we'll look at what God demands and say, all right, well, God, I mean, God didn't really mean that, did he? He didn't really mean to, to love that way. We'll even look at the words of Jesus. Like Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, and what do we do with that? We say, well, God doesn't, he doesn't mean be perfect. That's not what he meant. I mean, he must have meant, right, he, he must mean uh, just have really good intentions. And so what we, why do we do that? Why? Because we want to lower the bar. Because perfection is not attainable, but good intentions are. Maybe Jesus said that not because he wanted your good intentions, but because he wanted you to look to the one who could be perfect. Like maybe Jesus didn't think that you could do it. Maybe he wanted you to realize you couldn't. See, we cannot renegotiate the terms in order to make our debt more payable. We can't renegotiate the deal, saying, God, I'll try really hard, 
I'll, I'll, I'll not be so bad. Because no matter what renegotiation we try to do, it doesn't work. We can't change the terms. Now, there's a third way that people will choose to deal with the debt, and this one's a little bit different. Often, it will even happen after people tried the first two strategies and they don't work for them. And so this third way is what happens when people ignore their debt. Right? And so what happens is the debt starts to get a little bit overwhelming. And so it becomes easier. Well, maybe I just pretend it's not there. Like, maybe I ignore the contract I worked out with this lender, and, and so once I can't hold up my end of the bargain, I pretend it's not there and I go find someone else. Now, because I, I, I got to keep up my way of living, so ignore that one, go find another one, and work that system for a while, and eventually, when that debt gets too big, I'll ignore that one and I go find another one. And so all the while, you move from lender to lender to lender, ignoring the reality of the debt. Until eventually, you hit the point where you just stop paying altogether. But this is called defaulting. Right? It's when you stop making the payments, when you stop holding up your end of the deal. And it happens, the debt gets too overwhelming, it can, you can't keep up. You can't keep making the payments. It just catches up to you. And this is the way defaulting always works. Eventually, the debt catches up to you. Because you can try to ignore it for a while, you can try to run away from it, you can try to hide it, you can try to pretend it's not even there, and you can keep doing the things you want, but eventually that debt catches up to you and it finds you. And again, this happens in our spiritual lives, doesn't it? Right? It happens when we drift. Right? We slowly drift away from God and we stop thinking about God. Maybe we stop caring the way we once did. Maybe we stop believing altogether. We don't believe there is a God. Or we don't believe, if there is a God, we don't believe he has our best interests or really cares about us. We ask, what God? What rules? What expectations? We begin to ignore him. Defaulting in our relationship with God is what happens when we ignore God and we ignore sin. We just want to do what we want to do with no regard to the cost. And so sometimes that happens because it's too difficult to deal with the reality, right? Because you know what you said, you know what you did, and that's just too hard to deal with. And sometimes it slowly happens over time that you don't even realize that you're slowly starting to ignore until eventually one day you do. See, see some of us will hear this idea of defaulting and immediately our minds go, that's the people who don't believe in God. Or that's the people who, who say there is no God, it's the atheists, it's the agnostics, it's people who believe there is no God. But, but I, I want to make it clear that there are many of us who are probably here in this room who are on the road to defaulting right now. Because what happens in the church, what we do, is we, we do the right things that, the one hour a week. Right? We come here, we say the right things, we do the right things, and the moment we leave, we live like there's no God. It's called practical atheism. So we're not intellectually atheists. We do believe there's a God. We do believe he exists. But when it comes to the practical way we live our life, we live like there's no God. And if you live like there's no God long enough, you will stop believing there is a God. And here's the thing about defaulting. Like when you are on that path, when, when, you, when, when, when you are ignoring the debt, it's good for a little while. Like it works. You can buy the TV, you can buy the car, you can go on the trip. You, you, as long as you can keep all the plates spinning and, and ignore one and find another creditor, you, you can do a lot of fun things. It, it works for a while, but eventually it all catches up. And then you find that those things that you thought were giving you freedom actually enslave you. 
When it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes it works for a little while when we ignore him. Because sin is always fun for a season. And so we do the things we want. We make the choices based on what we want, not what God wants. But eventually, your debt catches up to you. And you find that the things that you wanted to do didn't actually give you freedom. They actually enslaved you. And now you are owned by those things instead of set free from them. See, we can ignore God and ignore sin, but it won't make it go away. It always catches back up. Now the fourth strategy is the most rare. It's the one, if you're, in the, if you're familiar with the business world, it's, it's probably the, out of the four strategies, the one that you may not have actually experienced. It's unusual, it's rare, but it is the only one that truly gives freedom. The only one that doesn't come with strings attached. That's forgiveness. That's what Paul talks about here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, uses a story to illustrate this. And again, if Jesus, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, and so how does Jesus choose to help the disciples understand forgiveness? How does he choose to help the early followers understand forgiveness? He tells them a financial story. Because forgiveness is a debt metaphor. And so he tells them a story. And he says the, the kingdom of heaven might be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment had to be made. In other words, the servant owed, and therefore he had no freedom. The servant was in debt, and that payment had to be made. A payment always has to be made. And so the servant finds himself owing the master. And he's about to lose everything because the debt caught up to him. He's going to lose his wife, his kids, his home. Because it all caught up. And so it tells us the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. Now most of the times when, I, when I've read this, this story that Jesus tells, I usually skip what the servant says. And, and you might do that too. See, usually what happens is I read it so quickly, I'll skip what the servant says and jump right to the master. And if you do that, what you'll miss is what the servant is actually requesting. The servant is renegotiating. Do you notice that? What, what does he say? Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Just give me a little bit more time. Just give me six more months and I'm going to work hard enough. Just give me a little bit more time and I'm going to figure out how to grow my wealth. Just give me a little bit more time and I'm going to get people to pay me what they owe me so I can pay you what I owe you. Just give me more time. The master ignores the servant's request. The master doesn't give him what he wants. How incredible is that then when the master doesn't listen to him and it says out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. See, some of you are here today and you're just begging God for some more time. Say, God, can we negotiate? Just give me six more months to fix it. Just give me a little bit more time to pay you back. Just give me a little bit of time to make things right. And maybe what you need to hear today is that God's ignoring your request because he says, I want to set you free. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the cancellation of our debt. 
Jesus canceled your debts by paying with his blood. Jesus nailed your IOUs to the cross. When Jesus was born, right, the birth of Jesus shows us that God wasn't content to let your debt build and build and build, but he knew that debt had to be paid, and so he sent Jesus. And Jesus came as a baby so that he could live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. So that he could one day die to pay the price that you and I couldn't pay. And that one day by his resurrection, he would do what no one else could do. When Jesus went to the cross, so did your debts. And when Jesus came out of the grave, your debts did not follow him. That's the promise of forgiveness. It's why Paul says that Jesus has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That doesn't come by negotiating your contract. It doesn't become, come because you became good enough. It doesn't come because you were able to run or hide from it. It comes because you came to terms with the debt. And in that moment, you realize that it wasn't yours to deal with. See, every system offers a solution to sin. And all of them will take one of these approaches to debt that our sin create. People, no matter who they are, will try to convince themselves that they're not that bad. That their debts are payable. That their debt can be minimized or renegotiated. They'll, they'll change the terms to try to make themselves feel better. They'll, they'll try to work their spiritual debt snowballs to get out of debt. Or eventually they'll just give up on it all because it didn't work. And so they'll run, they'll hide. But what if, what if we looked at our debt differently? What if instead we simply said help? Because in saying help, we believe that there was somebody who would. That there was a master who was waiting to forgive our debts. It's why the scriptures tell us in John 1, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because in our confession of help, in our spiritual bankruptcy, God says, look, my son, who was born to pay your debt. Let's pray. Jesus, we are spiritually bankrupt without you. We can't do enough of the right things. We can't grow enough. We can't commit enough. And no matter how hard we change to try to renegotiate the contract, we keep falling short. Some of us have tried to run away from it. Some of us have tried to hide from it. Some of us have said we believe the right things, but in all practical purposes, we don't act like we do. And so, Lord, when we look at the debts that we owe you, God, forgive us. And when we try to renegotiate, please just ignore us. Instead, have mercy on us. Hear us as we confess these sins to you. The promise of Jesus is that whatever you feel like you owe, it's been paid in full. The promise of Jesus is that your debts, your sins have been canceled. The promise of Jesus to you is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.